move my tea mug 15 centimeters to the left, I dare you. buses going past my window. You need to hear the buses. You need to hear life goes on outside your walls. Listeners, just think of it like soothing waves lapping a beach. It's like whale sounds of the urban setting. Although what with those aggressive assholes on their motorbikes who feel the need to compensate for their minuscule penises by going outside, what would they be? Who are the assholes of the sea? I want to say dolphins. <laughs> because I love dolphins, but they are fucking jerks. I think that would be the runners that patter past the window. Happy and sleek. <laughs> but jerks, because dolphins are definitely <laughs> the bros of the ocean. Ocean bros. Brotions, even. What kind of ocean sea creatures would we be? Just the dark things lurking in the depths with those little lamps, anglerfish. I think so, yeah, because we're ugly, we're kind of like <laughs> transparent. My nipples light up. You do have a lot of bioluminescence, which is pretty rad. Current events are shitty. They're especially shitty right now. Can we just get rid of this year? Can we just start again? Everything's awful forever for real. And this is the name of the podcast, but also the name of this fucking year, I think. This podcast is sponsored by 2020. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> We're great. The world is okay. Everything is good. Yay. Everything is awful forever. The podcast where current events. No, 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 no. Here's some escapism for you. And also, my episode today is particularly terrible. Here's some more murder and shit. <laughs> Please tell me it's not by police. Oh no. I mean... Oh no. I mean, maybe a little. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> it's worse. It's way worse. I'm Jessica Byrne. Everything's way worse. I'm Philippa Evans, and I still have some mild optimism that we can eat the rich and defund the police and, you know, maybe one day treat everyone like a person. I'm going to say some very cool words to you. The Graveyard of the Batavia. So that's right, kids. It's time for some more boat-based tragedies. Because <laughs> terrible things do be happen at sea. I kind of came across this as I was looking into piracy and things and then got into this rabbit hole of how horrible this thing was on itself. So it's kind of pirate adjacent. Pirates is my whole thing at the moment. I'm playing Black Flag. <laughs> it's fun. Pirates are good. Everyone shut up. Everyone love pirates. It's great. So the year is 1692 and piracy was just kind of gearing up because the golden age of piracy sort of they see began around 1650. So this proto golden age of piracy time was kind of called the time of the English sea dogs and the Dutch corsairs. The Dutch East India Company, as many companies were around this time in the proto-industrial age, was a kind of mega corporation that held a monopoly in Holland over the trade of spices from India and South Asia, and also a massive trade for silks and textiles. So whereas like a, a lot of like the French and Spanish were going over to America, the Dutch East India Company was really trading around there. That's where a lot of wealth was coming to and from South Asia and such. Now, the company's name in Dutch, 
I'm not even going to try <laughs> and Dutchify it because whenever we do that, we get made fun of by the people that speak that language. So fuck me for trying, right? <laughs> now you get untrying. How does that make you feel? <laughs> like, I think this is why countries have different names based on what, what language you speak, which never made any sense to me because <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, what, what's your country called? And they're like, es ist Deutschland, darling. It's like, oh, okay, uh, that was a... Uh, Deutschland, was it? Nein, you total dumb cough. Get a load of this English one who kind of says simple words. And it's like, okay, fuck you then. We're calling it Germany. Deal with it. But I digress. <laughs> Philippa, I'm in a very angry mood right now. <laughs> so the Dutch East India Company in Dutch is called the Very Nigdi Oost Indische Compagni. How is that untrying? But I'll be calling that the VOC from now on. <laughs> Please discord that name to me and let me say it like at least an Afrikaans person would for the sake of our listeners. Okay, okay, I'll do that to you right now. Oh yeah, because Afrikaans is a bit of, uh, kind of Dutch, isn't it? Some Afrikaans people have told me that it's like baby Dutch. Okay, so Verenigde Oostense Company. <laughs> Afrikaans people, I'm sorry, I've betrayed my people. The VOC. Mm -hmm. Let's go with that. The VOC had a flotilla of trading ships and vessels going to and from Asia, uh, Asia even, and one such merchant ship was called the Batavia. Her maiden voyage left Texel, Holland on the 28th of October 1628, and it was the flagship of the VOC. Very, very important boat, the Batavia. The ship was, it was about 150 feet in length and armed with 24 cannons to blast away the pirates. Her commander was one of the most experienced merchants in the VOC, and his name was Francisco Pelzart, and the ship captain, who is the skipper, was called Adrian Jakob. This kind of dual leadership was common practice in the VOC, with a commander who would lead the kind of merchants, and then they would be like captain of the boats to do all the boat business. <laughs> you gotta do important boat business. I don't know. I'm just the rich guy. I take care of the money. You take care of the boats. So the Batavia was carrying with her quite a lot of treasure. She had a lot of silver coins, two antiques belonging to the artist Rubens that was going to go into sale to an Indian mogul ruler, prefabricated sandstone blocks for a portico to be erected as a gatehouse in the city of Batavia, which was going to be the new headquarters of the VOC in the East Indies, a lot of stone to help build some factories there, and other jewels and silver and treasure that would result in about £22,600,000 in today's money. So this was mm -hmm. a rich, fat little duck on the ocean, just ready to be picked apart by pirates. Just waiting. So this is some tasty treasure. And the folk aboard the Batavia, much like a Facebook event where people will put themselves down as going, but then only seven actually do turn up. It me. It me, fucking, I know. Officially, she had th 341 people said to be aboard, but it was a little bit less than that, as a few last-minute desertions happened, so it wasn't quite as many, but they think that it was around, like, 330 or so. So of these 330 people, it was grouped into about two-thirds were crew and officers, 
that were needed to make the ship work, 100 sh uh, soldiers that were going over to the VOC, and the smallest group of the lot were civilians. Women, children, wives of VOC employees, a few servants, and much like in our other episodes of boat-based disasters, there's always a few filler bitches, you know, like seamstresses Gardner. or gardeners <laughs> for the ice caps. Yes. <laughs> Middle managers. <laughs> yes. Just managers in general. The most pointless of all job. I'm just really anti-establishment at the moment, Pip. I can't help it. <laughs> Haven't we always been? Yeah. Anarchy. <laughs> Casually pushes over a dumpster. <laughs> Sets a small fire in a bin. It was like, oh no, I need to use that later. It puts it out. Puts it out. <laughs> As many of our other tales of boat-based disaster, Aegir, the Norse god of the sea, was all, No! Don't! Shit is gonna go down! And cast a violent storm on the North Sea, and the Batavia was separated from their convoy. The convoy of about seven ships all left Texel together. After the storm, only two ships returned to the Batavia's side. These ships were the Buren and the and Delft. <laughs> Are we five? Asset. You know I'm five. You know I'm a five-year-old bratty tantrum lady. That's how I introduce you to my friends. <laughs> and they're like, oh, is that the one over there having a tantrum because she dropped her ice cream? Yes! <laughs> when I was when I was a kid, I used to eat the bottom of the cone out from the ice cream first. And as it melted, it all kind of like dribbled through, and I didn't understand it and would have a tantrum about it every single fucking time. Did you need help, Jess? Did people give you the assistance and support that you needed as a child? Because what <laughs> monster does that? <laughs> I think my parents just watched <laughs> as I was absolutely like covered in ice cream and crying because life was over. So now, despite only being three ships, they did all drift their way on, appeased the old Norse gods somehow, it seems, and they managed to make their way to South Africa, to the Cape of Good Hope, a month ahead of schedule, which was pretty good going. But this is not a podcast of good hope and good going. <laughs> if we were to name a cape, we would call it the cape is of, of everything is awful forever and fuck you. That's what our cape would be called, I think. The Cape of Good Hope... Didn't, didn't it have another name, the Cape of Storms? Let me just check. <laughs> it is. So the Cape of Good Hope is also called the Cape of Storms, which shows that some people are better at naming things than others. <laughs> That's interesting because there was a hell of a lot of storms there and things were not quite as good as it seemed. So they may have arrived a month ahead of schedule, but 10 passengers had died along the journey due to usual dangers of 17th century boat travel. So basically like poor health, common problems of the time. The drinking water was also contaminated with worms and algae. So water and nutrition-based diseases took 10 of the passengers' lives already. <laughs> and also when they arrived, the commander had a good talk with the skipper, Adrian Jacobs, because he was a stereotypical drunken sea dog, and his drunken captaining was causing problems. He had gotten into a <laughs> violent, massive piss-up and caused a huge brawl on deck. <laughs> so Pelzart, the merchant, publicly reprimanded the captain for all the fighting and general sea hooliganry. Bad, bad drunk captain. Stop. Don't. Arr, arr, stop hitting me. <laughs> stop Not it. the newspaper. Stop <laughs> being a drunken whore, you. Captain Havoc and get sober hitting him with a newspaper. Spritzing him. Psh, psh. 
Stop it. Leave me. Leave me. So Pills out and uh, Jakob's already had a bit of an uh, existing bad blood between the two anyway, because there was another dispute with them two years prior in India. So this may have been the straw to break a rum-soaked sea dog's back. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Jakobs had deeper resentment of the commander Pelzard after the public scalding. Something had to be done. But once they had all their stuff sorted out in the Cape of Good Hope and all that out of the way, they set off once again, aiming north from the Cape of Good Hope towards Asia. And the three ships that were left set off. But again, Aegir was like, I said no! You guys, fuck you! She's gonna go down! <laughs> and the three ships lost sight of one another during a storm, because apparently Ooh. it's called the Cave of Storms. So this left, good for that. left the Batavia alone. Not only that, but because of all the bad drinking water and such, Pelzart fell really seriously ill and had to remain in his cabin to recover, leaving the command to his number two, Jacobs, and then also a newcomer, number three, Hieronymus Cornelius. Cue lightning, cause he's the worst. Wolf howls in the distance. Cornelius. He's one of the most important people in this story. His life started off fairly well, being from a well-off and well-educated background. He became an apothecary, just like his father, making and selling medicines in Harlem. No, not in America. Most of America's uh, East Coast are named after pre-existing places because we colonized it all and was like, this is now new, this place. <laughs> anyway, his life was then struck by tragedy as he had a son with his wife, but she became ill and they placed their son in the care of a wet nurse. The baby unfortunately died because he caught syphilis Ooh. from the wet nurse's milk. Ooh. Yeah, no, I didn't know that that could happen. So the wet nurse had syphilis, transferred it to the baby, killed the baby. This caused a huge stir because it was blamed on the wife, thinking that the wife was the one that had syphilis. A scandal was unleashed, reputation in tatters, destroying his business, meaning that he was unable to pay off many a debt. He was also a follower of the painter Terentius Johannes Simons van der Beek, which is an excellent (laughs) name. And the painter believed all religions restrict pleasure. This is a quote, by the way, sorry. Quote, all religions restrict pleasure. In doing so, they are contrary to the will of God, who put us on earth that we might, during our brief existence, enjoy without hindrance everything that might give us pleasure. Mm, Fair enough. I could follow that. This was not a popular view in 17th century Holland, however. And... Terentius was tortured for his beliefs and exiled to England, the worst of all fates. <laughs> the place where you get the least pleasure. There's no pleasure the there. The grimmest place. Absolutely. Everything's green and beige. Bearing shades of grey. Cornelius seemed to take this kind of philosophy to heart. Take what you want, give nothing back. Cornelius, with debts, broken reputation, and now his association with the hedonistic, heathenistic painter, has no other choice but to flee. And so, to the sea he goes, maybe with the idea to launch his pirate career, just like Steed Bonnet. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I love Steed Bonnet. He's my favourite. You just want to insert him everywhere. (laughs) I do. He's my new fave. We've got Henry VIII and Steed Bonnet. (laughs) I just need a collection of little, like, fat goblins. That's all I want in life. At the Cape of Good Hope, Cornelius joined the crew. 
Con and Jakobs stewed in their little corner of hatred over Pelzart, who is now not around to defend himself or hand out punishments for stupid behaviour because he went and got himself ill, a fucking idiot. Cornelius didn't have the same kind of personal vendetta against Pelzart, but he did have his eye on the massive fortune that the ship was carrying. What they needed to do was launch a mutiny. My favourites. We've not had a mutiny yet, and now it's time has come. You feel like the mutiny is, is, is arriving? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, they plotted together and planned exactly how they would execute the mutiny. Morale on the ship was already very low due to the fucking normal, everyday ship conditions being fucking terrible. Seriously, <laughs> I can't understand just the depths of misery and horror that ship life sounds. <laughs> So a few of the crew were on board the plan because they're like, this sucks, this is shit. We've been here for like eight months and we're still nowhere. I hate this. And they had their own little kind of like mutinous crew. Their own little like group. You see, the fact that the Batavia was now alone was not because of vengeful sea gods, but it was vengeful sea dogs, <laughs> Philippa. Jacobs purposefully steered the ship away from the others and off its course during a storm, under the guise of, oops, storm's about, sorry about, oh no, now we're alone, oh no, you've got no backup, oh, what are we gonna do? So they were alone in the ocean. The mutiny would happen, but... There was not quite enough people on the side of the mutineers. They needed something that would trigger a mutiny. Morale is low, but they needed to get people just to go over the edge. They needed to make Pelzart a villain. On board the ship was a very beautiful and wealthy woman named Lucretia. She was journeying to meet with her husband, who is a VOC employee in the East Indies. Pelzart was also kind of romantically interested in her, but Pelzart was a gentleman, and so was leaving her alone, unlike the several other sailors who were constantly hitting on her, all she rebuffed. So, using her as a pawn for revenge, in the pitch black of night, a group of eight men in masks pounced on her. They held her over the side of the ship by her ankles, groped her, and they also smeared her face and vagina in animal dung. Why? 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 Why even? Why, though? Why do that? Surely you could think of something else than, you know, being an utter failure of a human being. But but go on. <laughs> Using a woman to get revenge on the guy. Just fucking attack the guy? You're all in masks. Do that. Or like, just, I don't know, write his name in the burn book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Fuck's sake, indeed. The assault on Lucretia was meant to paint Pelzar as a villain because they assumed that he would then hand out punishments to the crew, of which um, Jacobs would hope would start a mutiny based on the already low morale. Because also women are property, and no one gave a fuck, or more likely because Pelzart was smart, he withheld punishing the crew, and no punishment was handed out. Great. Good job, lads. Yeah, great. You did it. You did it. Even if he had, mm -hmm. like, the people who weren't mutiny-ready would be like, well, I guess that punishment was maybe justified, mm. because you know. It happened to a woman, though. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, because they were masked as well, no one could really identify the attackers, although Lucretia did hear some of their voices and she had some ideas, and also Pelzar suspected that Jacobs was involved. Nothing came of it. The mutineers were now really worried, as punishment would probably come to them, but later, once they arrived in Batavia. So now they were panicking. There was still not enough people on their side to enact a good mutiny. They made a new plan instead. 
And that plan was to sneak into the captain's quarters at night and throw him overboard. I mean, just do that the first fucking time. <laughs> He's sick. Should have just done that. You hate that guy. I was like, man, I hate that guy. Punches a woman. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I'm not pro-murdering Pelsats, but you know, just fucking be direct. Yeah, I'm, I'm pro-channeling the anger towards the person you hate instead of, you know, don't kick the dog is what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> they then also plotted once that he was gotten rid of to throw away the rest of the ship's passengers, just keelhaul them, and then turn to piracy. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for we, cried they, and then shushed each other while giggling because this was a sneaky good plan that was a big secret. <laughs> Started singing shanties all around and <laughs> Pelzard was like, What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Have a nice night sleep. <laughs> you know that we would. Yeah. <laughs> so on the fourth of June, eight months of the Batavia being at sea, three weeks since Lucretia's assault. There was no turning to piracy. There was no incredible, mutinous plot. Instead, what happened was just poor, distracted sailing of a terrible, fucking, drunken, idiot, rapist captain. The Batavia was sailing under a clear night sky and a full moon when Pelzout was awoken by a terrible, thunderous noise and thrown from his bed onto the deck. Mutiny? Maybe being attacked by pirates? <laughs> he ran out onto the deck and saw that they had run aground stuck in an enormous coral reef <sighs> yeah he wrote in his journal i was lying in my bunk feeling ill and felt suddenly with a rough terrible movement the bumping of the ship's rudder and i immediately after that i felt the ship held up in her course against the rocks so that i fell out of my bunk whereon i ran up and discovered that all the sails were in top the wind southwest that during the night the course had been northeast by north and that lay right in the middle of thick spray around the ship there were only a little surf but shortly after that heard the sea breaking hard around about i said skipper what have you done that through your reckless <laughs> carelessness you have run this noose around our necks that's very dramatic very. i hope he did say that <laughs> what have you done that wrung a noose around our necks i think probably because he wrote this in his journal he probably went i was like gah fuck it yeah, oh, you! And then went around and like wrote down, yeah, said this awesome, cool thing, because I'm a badass. <laughs> so they were stuck in the middle of the ocean on this reef. They waited to see if the tide would subside and that they could sail free. It's hoping that they'd hit it in low tide so that when it rose, they would be like drifted off. But after hours of waiting, they saw that it actually happened at high tide and the tide was now lower. So freedom from this was not an option. The corals and the rocks had <sighs> shredded the wooden ship to ribbons and the mid-sea waves were crashing hard against her because this was the uh, Southern Hemisphere winter as well. So choppy, choppy seas. A lot of the frightened passengers leapt from the ship but were pierced on the rocks and corals below oh. or were drowned. So the crew did everything they could to try and lighten the load of the ship and free it from being caught, throwing overboard the cannons and anything else that they could, except for the treasure, because leave the treasure alone, the treasure is important, the treasure is more important <laughs> than your life, don't touch the treasure, leave the treasure alone. They did cut down the main mast to try and lighten it, but nothing worked, it was just absolutely stuck, and so they were just stuck in the middle of the ocean with none of their convoy around. What they had hit was a 
thing called morning reef. Morning reef. I've got some morning reef, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Gross. I think. Oh, did I miss here morning? It's morning. Yeah, it is morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just giggle like a five-year-old. <laughs> Morning Reef is like the gross woman version, and I feel like it's all like frothy <laughs> and the seaweed there as well. And like crags. And crags. Somewhere in there. <laughs> Morning Reef is a collection of 122 barren small islands and reefs and things like that in the Indian Ocean, which is just kind of off the west coast of Australia. These islands didn't really offer much in nature's bounty. It wasn't like nice tropical islands. They were mostly just like spits of sand and desert islands or some of them only having like small birds and seals and sea lions on them um some of them were just like completely covered in like sharp corals and just real shitty fear of the ship completely going under what they did was ferried off the ship 180 people to a nearby island and among these were 30 women and children much of the ship's cargo like water wine and some of the meats and things and the jewels were also taken to land too to protect it because we need the treasure get the treasure sorted first get the treasure sorted the treasure sorted okay good now get the people on the island approximately 70 men remained on board the batavia including hieronymus cornelius pelsart Jacobs and about 40 men made camp on another island which today is known as traitor's island for reasons that may become obvious soon there was not enough water and they were all in desperate need of rescue so all the senior officers commander pelsart and Jacobs, and some other crew and passengers totaling 48 deserted 268 people scattered across the two islands what they did was they were heading off to try and search for more position, uh, provisions even, searched the other islands, mainly looking for water and rescue. Cornelius was still aboard the Batavia ship with the other 70 people, but Palzat wanted to go and deliver some of the water that they had with them to the main island where most of the civilians were. But Jacobs and the others just rode ahead and ignored him because they feared that they would be mobbed by the panicked people. So they headed out in search of better provisions, leaving behind all of those people. It was called Traitor's Island because the people that Pelzat left behind felt abandoned by their captains, thinking that they were just kind of fucking off instead of what they were actually doing, which was going to get rescue. I like that what they did then was, you know, name it. Yeah. This is going to be fucktard Pelzat's Island. No, it's too complicated. <laughs> just Traitor's Island. Yeah, I like that. It's short and sweet. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. So the Pelzat's search, search for provisions proved to be useless. These islands were just deserts. And while they were so far out, they were like, well, at this point, we can't really turn back. We can just head on to Batavia, which, by the way, is modern-day Jakarta. I, I don't think I've mentioned that yet. So they were heading out they headed out there because they were like, well, there's no point in turning around with nothing. We may as well go and get rescue. This journey to Batavia took 33 days. So when Pelzart and the others arrived safely, they landed on Batavia and he turned to Jacobs and was like, I mean, that was quite a journey, wasn't it? Phew, well, we're here now. And um, Oh, there's, there's something in the back of my mind I wanted to talk to you about. What was it? Um, What was that? Oh. Oh, yeah, remember, I mean, silly now, it happened so long ago, but uh, remember that woman you assaulted? Oops. Anyway, so the Basavia's high boatswain, I don't know what that is, a boatswain. I think you say bosun? Now it's spelled boatswain, but is that bosun? <laughs> okay, it's like the kind of lieutenant, lieutenant thing, bosun. Okay, interesting. I've done so many learnings 
And I'm the one that's supposed to be telling you the things. <laughs> the student has become the master. <laughs> the Batavius boatswain was executed on Commander Pelzat's indictment of what had happened, and also because Jacobs had blamed him for the reason they hit the roof. But Jacobs was also arrested for negligence and also just being a general Yay! shithead. Pelzat had indeed bided his time to exact punishment of those that had behaved so fucking terribly and assaulted Lucretia. So with all that out of the way, though, the evildoers executed or arrested, the rescue mission was launched. It took them 63 days to head back to find the wreck, almost double the time it took the ship's boat to get to Batavia. This was due to the weather being bad and fighting against the wind, but what happened during that time, oh, they wished they'd gotten there sooner. Oh. But it's okay, though, because what I did in the interim was I turned one of the islands into a workhouse. There's the hungry orphans. Yeah, they're doing really well. They're enjoying it. They love the beach. Considering they have nothing to drink. They've got piss. They've got piss to drink. That's what we learned with the wreck of the Medusa. And that's what we give them to drink anyway. They're used to it. <laughs> it's like, you know, after you've had like a really shitty version of cola and you'll get used to that shitty version of cola and then someone hands you a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola and you're like, ugh, <laughs> no, I prefer the shitty version. It's like that with piss. I had that with margarine, so <laughs> piss, yeah. Piss. So, Philippa, do you know what's good? podcasts. I would never have dreamed of it. Yeah, podcasts are good and there's a good podcast that I know and it's called Your Brain on Facts. And you know who also is good? The host, Moxie. She's so good that she's going to come over for a special episode with us and tell Pip and I some awful facts that we're going to listen to and know and it's going to be really, really good. Yay, story time. So it's going to be our brain on awful facts forever. <laughs> so, Get your brain on facts, cue that shit up right after you've finished this episode, and when you've done that listening to your brain on facts, come and sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash awful forever podcast. Because you heard the caliber of incredible episodes of the great arm numbering of 2020 where Philippa couldn't edit, so we had to put a Patreon <laughs> episode. So go sign up. You get more of us, you get more episodes. They're all really, really good. They're all so good that I'm kind of sad that they're behind a page. Wall, but there you go, that's capitalism. We need money. I don't have a job. Philippa's arms <laughs> falling off, and this is all bad. <laughs> I got better. I got better. <laughs> Otherwise, you can follow us on Twitter at Awful Forever Pot or Instagram at Awful Forever Podcast. So, our orphans seem to have all died. Um, okay. Leaving behind a wicker man? Oh, shit. I think that was for us. Oh, fuck. Let's get on our tiny little makeshift raft and head back to the rest of the people on the islands. I don't know why we keep trying this sort of like entrepreneurial franchising of our orphans. It just, it doesn't seem to work out very well. <laughs> I feel mutiny brewing amongst them. <laughs> Elzart and the others leave, so there's a bunch of people left on Traitor's Island, about 70 folk left in the Batavias herself, and a larger island which they call Batavia's Graveyard. 
Mm. <laughs> About a hundred of these people on Batavia's graveyard were VOC soldiers, and the rest were traders, merchants, carpenters, blacksmiths, and that one ice caps gardener woman. <laughs> Thirty women were among them, and a few children and two infants who were born during the voyage. There was almost <laughs> no drinking water to begin with, and now that they had run aground, they'd almost completely run out of drinkable water. People took to drinking seawater or indeed their own piss. Mm. Ten people here died of thirst. Can I just say, as an aside, that needs a name. Like, you can starve to death, but you can't thirst to death. And that annoys me that it doesn't have a name. Dehydrated to death? Can we say that they dried? Like, they... They desiccated. Oh, they desiccated. They died because they dried. <laughs> they desiccated to death, yes. Mm-hmm. We fixed language. We fixed it. We solve. We, we solve everything. We they desiccated to death. Luckily, though, it rained on the seventh day, giving them some rainwater to drink. They collected that, so no more people dry died. A few days after Pelzar and Commanders leave, the mutineers left the Batavia, and Cornelius were helping themselves to the supplies that were left there. But this, as I said, was the Southern Hemisphere's winter. Harsh winds battering the the sea against the ship knocking the ship further against the reef and it finally succumbed to nature breaking apart and beginning to sink 40 men drowned trying to escape as it went down and the survivors grabbed flotsam and jetsam no not ursula the sea witch's eels <laughs> but you know the boat stuff and they'd floated over to the batavia's graveyard and the traitor's island people by now were panicked once they saw their ship going down there was nothing left to save them their leaders had abandoned them in their eyes this was cornelius's time to take control he would gather up the men, the mutineers that he had already behind him, begin life as a pirate that he so wanted. The <laughs> idea was that they would flag down a rescue ship, seize it, become a pirate, profit. <sighs> What's that sigh? Is that a wistful sigh? It's just the dumbest plan. It's a very bad plan, yeah. But go on. I shall. Let's see how it went for Cornelius. Yes. He'd have these folks as his crew, you know, the mutineers. They're like, this is a jolly bunch of folk already. He needed them to be the roughest, scallywaggiest sea dogs on the ocean. That means whittling down the weak. <laughs> Practice your pirating with murder. That's right. Of the dehydrated and defenseless. Of course. That's how pirating works. Those are transferable <laughs> skills. So... As the commander, he ordered those around him to salvage some of the supplies that were floating off the Batavia, get some of the things so they could strap it together, make rafts. Some of the barrels were floating, so that was okay. He ordered people to go around hunting the seals and birds, decimating the wildlife population. <laughs> it was clear that there were too many mouths to feed, and he became concerned that supplies wouldn't last very long. Also, one of the mutineers was starting to get a bit chatty about their secret mutiny plot. <laughs> You bet they were. Yeah. <laughs> Way hey, we're all going to be such fun. <laughs> we were going to be pirates. Listen, I got the shanty. I'm working on it. It goes, Batavia, Batavia, come and save you. It's, it's in the works. I'm working on it. So with that terrible shanty, he's like, no, he's he doesn't. He, I don't like the cut of his jib. That's nautical term. And I also think that shanty's shit. So we don't want him as a pirate. He stockpiled all the weapons and with a group of a few dozen men began to seize full control over people because people had kind of like they'd set about like kind of electing a, a council of people to do like help survive. 
but Cornelius sort of muscled his way in to become the dictator. Using some of the wreckage, they crafted rafts and headed out to some of the other islands to look for supplies. They returned, saying that they discovered more resources, water, and a hell of a lot of wildlife on an island that they called Seal Island. Come and eat all these seals, they're delicious. So we gathered about 45 people, cabin boys, men and women, and took them along, saying that they could all feast on seals over here. He also gathered around 20 of the best soldiers to head out and explore some of these other islands. And this set of islands was called the Highlands because it was one of the few islands that had a small hill on it. (laughs) So sending away the soldiers, though, was a plan to remove the strongest and best soldiers and maroon them on the island that was furthest away. So they did that. Marooned the soldiers were like, bye, and came back (laughs) to... Batavia's graveyard. As for the people on Seal Island, basically, they were abandoned on a desert island that was made of lies. It had (laughs) absolutely fucking nothing on it. They were expected to just simply die. So there's the mutineers who are um, just having a grand old time sailing around and leading people on. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the civilians and then you've got the soldiers, both marooned. Yes. There were still a lot more people on Batavia's graveyard, which is the main island. There's now Seal Island, which is like this desert island where they marooned just to wither away and die. That was, um, what did I say? About 45 people they took onto Seal Island and 20 soldiers on the highlands. Most of the rest of the people, (laughs) yeah, the highlands, I love it. Most of the rest of the people on Batavia's graveyard, which is not the sunken ship. The ship is now gone. So that's dead. The island itself called Batavia's Graveyard. And the people who were stuck on Seal Island were like, damn, but we already called that other island Traitor's Island. Oh, shit. <sighs> what are we going to call this one? Uh, maybe Lies Island, because there's no seals. Yeah, but why are <laughs> I already made the sign that says Seal Island. It's a very good sign, Jim. Okay, <laughs> fine. It's, it's still Seal Island, but let's all now just die of dry. <laughs> so, once they returned, the people on the Batavia's Island didn't know that this was going on. They were like, oh, those people are going to get fat and happy on seals. Those people over there are already finding shit. What are we going to do? So he's like, how about we go on like small little other like scouting missions? So what he started to do was send others on the shittiest rafts on fake exploration missions, sending with him his mutineers, basically executing them by drowning them on their shitty little drafts. Rafts would fall apart. Or he would send people out with them to just, like, throw them overboard and then return. With this move, he had cut down the population of Batavia's graveyard by a third. Less mouths to feed now. So, as the soldiers had not returned, some of the survivors were asking where they were. So, Cornelius had two more soldiers together with a couple of sailors to head out to look for them, along with one of Cornelius's appointed right-hand men. When the raft was out of sight, the man bound and gagged them, tied up their wrists and legs, threw them all overboard, and then drowned. He also did this with two more men in the same kind of trap. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you. He was kind of murdering everyone 
left, right and centre. At this point, uh, nine people were murdered. I mean, this isn't even including the people that he's stranded on an island just to die. He also had a six-year-old child strangled to death. He was killing off the ill or infirm by this point, but made sure to keep some of the women alive for, you know, reasons. He'd now seized total control over the leadership and was now becoming an insane dictator, gathering with him loyal mutineers, frightening other people into joining his crew of mutineers. And he was using sneaky tactics at first to get rid of people, sort of like sending them off and then be like, oops, they're dead now. But the facade of that fell away quickly. And being drunk on power, he was now ordering people to be executed in full view. He had all the power. He had all the control over the weapons, the supplies, some of the strongest men. Now that he'd gotten rid of the soldiers, especially, these people started to craft like their own weapons from the flotsam, including making makeshift morning stars. <laughs> yes, which is scary as fuck. <laughs> Uh, for those that don't know, a morning star is like a heavy, usually is like a heavy spiked ball on a chain, but they were just kind of using spiked things on like the ends of ropes and shit. Brutal. <laughs> the other people had no way to combat this murderous new regime. He was King Henry VIII of the island. He had the best food and clothing and could kill whoever the fuck he wanted. I love that King Henry VIII has just become our stand-in for any <laughs> evil tyrant yes. who wants to throw a tantrum. Because he's my favourite one. But there were some spanners in the works emerging from his horrific murdering spree, ruining his fun! <laughs> For one, people on the deserted Steel Island were surviving longer than anticipated, and sometimes they could be seen wandering around on the beach. Worried that seeing this would cause the people on Batavia's graveyard to revolt, he sent his thugs over out to the island to take care of the survivors. When they landed, they immediately stabbed the children and dragged most of the others to the shore to drown them. Oh, that is sad. I was hoping that that wouldn't happen. No, it did, though. He murdered loads of them. They brought back uh, four of the women to rape them. Mm. Eight men managed to escape and swam to the refuge of the highlands where the soldiers were marooned. But it wasn't a very good idea to leave trained military men to their own devices if you plan on being a total (laughs) fucking bastard. So the soldiers were led by a man named Hayes, and having more experience in this sort of thing, explored the islands nearby and some of the other smaller islands a bit more thoroughly. And they did find some good fishing spots, some more resources, and actually they found a natural well that was full of fresh drinking water. They Once they found the drinking water, they set a smoke signal to alert the other islands of their discovery. I imagine Cornelius was sitting on a throne of bones at this point, probably <laughs> drinking wine out of a skull, but being like, you know, drinking wine out of a skull is rather hard because there's eye holes and the, the <laughs> liquid kind of spills out. So if someone get me an eyeless skull to drink from. But then he spat out his wine when he saw the smoke signal because the people of <laughs> the Batavius graveyard started gathering up a raft to head over to the highlands. Cornelius, seeing this, ordered his men to attack, and a high-speed shitty raft race occurred. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, actually, like, fucking rowing, and they, they see, like, their thugs be like, Arr! and they're all wearing pirate gear, and they're like, oh, shit, and then, like, a really tiny, shitty mini pirate ship battle occurs, where instead of cannons, they're just, like, throwing coral pieces Rocks. at each other, yeah. But several of the three of the fleeing men 
drowned trying to escape the attack by leaping into the water and the rest were caught subdued and brought back once back they were thrown before cornelius who ordered their deaths the children that were taken were stabbed first killed on the beach while the women were rowed out to sea and thrown overboard to drown this would be the fate of those who tried to escape remaining survivors pledged their allegiance to cornelius fear that they would be slaughtered but this didn't save them. Eleven survivors who were isolated in a communal tent to recover from various illnesses, they were a drain on the island's resources. So he ordered his men to creep into their tent at night and slit their throats, killing all eleven of them. This is not a fun island reality show. It's a bad... This is like Love Island, but instead it's Murder Island. I mean, Love Island is pretty bad. It's quite but- bad. But Murder Island, eh. It's a little worse, isn't it? A bit. It's like instead of getting voted off or whatever, I've never actually seen the program, they get killed off. <laughs> <laughs> so people were terrified. As soon as anyone became sick, they would be murdered. And with only bird and seal meat and rotting drinking water, people did become sick. Mm-hmm. By this point, Cornelius had indirectly murdered 50 of the survivors. The population of Batavia's Greydark was now only 90. Still angry about the men that escaped from Seal Island, Cornelius ordered the four women that they brought back to be murdered as punishment for the men that escaped. Again, these guys like using women as uh, punishment tools for men. Yeah, punching bags. One of the women at the time was heavily pregnant and one of the men took her by the hand, looked into her eyes and said, Micah, my dear, it's time to die and threw her to the ground and slit her throat. I'm hoping they get their comeuppance at the hands of the military men. Mmm, we shall see. (laughs) By now, they were unstoppable. Cornelius was um, swanning around wearing Pelzart's fancy rich boy clothes that he salvaged and would change outfits several times a day. Oh my god. He and the mutineers had access to the best wine and the good food that they had salvaged. They were living almost like kings while the others were starving and drying to death. And they were only surviving on seal and bird meat. They continued their brutal, systematic murder of the survivors, including Cornelius himself finally got his hands dirty by poisoning a baby. Well done, Cornelius. This is cartoonish levels of... (laughs) Like villainy. But first, he pulled the lollipop from its mouth. <laughs> when, like, Wario was like, <laughs> and threw it on the ground. So, uh, yeah, the baby was poisoned because it wouldn't stop crying because it was a bit ill. And so he was like, hey, I'm an apothecary. I can cure the baby, he said, lying to the mother's face, taking the baby and then poisoning it. The baby didn't die from the poison, so he strangled her. Ugh. Great. Well done, Cornelius. This is grim. You killed a baby. Mm. Yeah, good. And then he was like, cheer. And all his soldiers were like, yeah. Well done, sir. Well done. Very good. Very good murder, my lord. (laughs) That baby put up a good fight, my lord. (laughs) Do you see that? You see that? Yeah, very good. Woo. Yeah, (laughs) The soldiers on the highlands needed to be stopped, though, as they could potentially rise up and come over. I'm sorry, but I... I keep imagining them with kilts on now that I you know, just keep saying too, Highlands with like woad. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere a, bi- a bagpipe plays. Freedom! <laughs> 
Mel Gibson is there. Mel Gibson, for some fucking reason, what? Like, was Gerard Butler busy? He's Scottish, right? <laughs> a slow trickling of escapees from Batavia's graveyard meant that the Highlands population had more than doubled to about 45 men. Hayes was also, as I said, a trained soldier, and he had knowledge of battle tactics. They fortified the island, constructing spikes around the beach, collecting sharp rocks and coral to throw, should they be attacked, and also they themselves crafted morning stars and weapons, and they also managed to construct a small fort from the salvaged limestone from the Batavia ship and from corals. So, when Cornelius sent several waves of attacks against the Highlands, they were forced into a retreat each time, being fended off by the soldiers. On Batavia's graveyard, though, things were getting even worse. The murders continued. Out of the 30 women that were there, only seven women remained, and they were mm. all forced into sexual slavery. There were so many different instances of murder, like they were just killing people constantly. Like at one point, they blindfolded a boy as a joke and then decapitated him. They strangled a girl to death with her own hair ribbon. It's just waves and waves <sighs> of horror. There were stabbings and drownings of the remaining people. And Lucretia, who was the dung assaulted woman was forced into sexual slavery with Cornelius himself threatening her with death if she didn't comply he was a true fucking monster there seemed like no end in sight and no way to stop him but usually though vicious tyrannical dictators wrought low by his own hubris in the last effort to gain control over everyone he took the entire population of batavia's graveyard with him to go and conquer the highlands however the entire population of batavia's graveyard was now only 32 men and <sighs> two women so they were all stuffed onto a raft and rode over to the highlands the mutineers sweet-talking the soldiers because they had an idea to try and bribe them onto their side. It was all a plot to gain more control. Cornelius went with talks with Hayes and the rest of the mutineers would get to work on the other soldiers, buttering them up, offering them wine and food, which was accepted very gratefully, bribing them with coins and jewels. Join the pirate's life. We're just pirates, but without a ship right now. It'll be great. <laughs> and the soldiers accepted the treasure gratefully. When the switcheroo, da -da -da, a surprise attack by the soldiers, they pounced <laughs> on the mutineers while they were unsuspecting. Yay! They were like, hmm, Jules, thanks for that. Surprise punch. Many of the other <laughs> mutineers were waiting on the beach. They witnessed the arresting of the others that were up in the kind of like fort thing. But they had to run about a mile up the sand embankment to get to free their leader. Hayes, knowing that the mutineers outnumbered his men by quite a lot, ordered the instantaneous execution of those captured. So threw them to the ground, slit all their throats to deter the mutineers from coming closer. This frightening display of execution worked and the others fled Along with the surviving prisoner civilians, they retreated back to Batavia's graveyard. Cornelius was arrested and was placed in a limestone pit that was making do as a cell. <laughs> After their retreat, the mutineers landed back on the Batavia's graveyard. They elected a new leader, who was a 24-year-old bloke. The murdering stopped because this guy wasn't a fucking monster. He just wanted to be a pirate and not a murderer. <laughs> Still... They still wanted to be shitheads, though, and their supplies were really running low now. They knew that the others had drinking water and supplies on the Highlands, so the remaining mutineer loyalists launched their final attack on the Highlands. They took every single weapon they could 
and a new battle commenced, the last stand. Each was shooting at each other and attacking. The other's mutineers stormed the beach. There was a huge battle. Many of the soldiers died when suddenly on the horizon they see... Gandalf. It was Gandalf. He came <laughs> with the riders. First light of dawn on the third day. Yay! Oh my God, except it was the 64th day. It was Pelzart. <laughs> he had returned. It was a bit less like Gandalf and more like the scene in Community where Troy comes back from getting pizza and everything's on fire and someone's been shot. <laughs> the darkest timeline, truly. So they all stopped the attack and surrendered when they saw the boats coming from the ship and rowing over to them. But the plan to steal the rescue ship could still happen. So a mad scramble of mutineers to steal the ship happened. So the pirate plan that Corny wanted to get the ship go over there, rowing over. But Hayes was like, not today, Satan, and got his own ship. And they were both like (laughs) rowing over to be like, we're going to get the first. Another (laughs) shitty high speed boat race. These boys wanted to be pirates real bad. They really, really did. They really (laughs) wanted it. They wanted to live their truth as a pirate. So (laughs) Hayes, though, got there first. And he was like, welcome. But these guys are going to fuck you up. So when the mutineers arrived to steal the ship, they were all greeted with muskets and pikes pointed at them and were arrested. Over a hundred people were ordered murdered by Cornelius over the whole ordeal. Of the 340 people that set sail, under a hundred survived. Cornelius was was arrested, they arrested everyone else, they interrogated everyone about what happened, and all the accounts were kind of the same, they had so much evidence, but also what they found (laughs) was seven, several even, handwritten oaths that the mutineers had signed. So basically they'd be like, I I vow to bow to you and murder everyone, my lord. And so they all had pretty solid evidence that you might be the worst fucking human (laughs) in the whole world. So following the confession of their crimes, the condemned mutineers were sentenced to having their right hands cut off. And in the case of Cornelius, both hands prior to being put to death on the gallows. (laughs) Good. Seal Island was designated as the place of execution, where they were executed on the 2nd of October, 1629. Two men were abandoned on the Southland as punishment, marooned just to die, dry to death maybe, while it was decided that some of the lesser offenders were to be taken back to Batavia to just be imprisoned. Pelzart, during his trial, diligently set about recovering the items stolen by the mutineers. He wanted all of his shit back. They got a lot of divers to try and cover the valuables and, you know, try and get some of the treasure. But on the 5th of December 1629, the ship returned to Batavia with the remaining survivors and also as much of the salvaged cargo as they could. The lesser offenders who, from the mutineers, were flogged, keelhauled, dropped from the yardarm as punishment on the voyage home and were executed. Hayes and some of his men were promoted for resisting the mutineers and Hayes was made sergeant and the others corporals, which, you know, carried a higher wage and was good and everyone lived happily ever after. Did Lucretia make it? She she lived, yeah, she lived. Did she? She 
did. Her ending wasn't very happy, though. I, I probably because of all the trauma. Mm. Yes, her and there. There is quite a lot more to this story about like some of the survivors and what happened to the wreck and things like that. It's just this episode has already been going on for um an hour and twenty minutes, so <laughs> I don't know how long it'll be after editing, but yeah, fairly long because there was a lot, a lot of murder, and that was the part. Hmm. That's the juicy bits. I'll be interested to read about the afterlives. Yeah, it, it is kind of sad because you don't really go through this level of trauma and make it out well. Unless you're Hayes, who is probably played by Christian Bale. Okay, so we've got Gerard Butler, who is, um... No, Gerard Butler's Hayes, because they're the Scottish ones. Oh, oh yes, you're right. Okay, sorry, fuck off Christian Bale. Christian Bale can be, um, Cornelius, because he is also a bastard. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (sighs) So... That was very good. That was a very different boat-based disaster to the ones that we've covered. I love how, you know, just like Tolstoy said, every happy family is happy in the same way, but every miserable family is has its own story. Mm. It's like that with boats. Yeah. Boats be like that. It's, it's like, what, what do you do in the most bleak kind of circumstances where you don't really know what's going to happen to you because you're just in the middle of the sea and you don't have any food or water? Do you eat people? Do you <laughs> murder them and become a vicious fucking tyrant monster? Mm. Who knows? Who knows? What would you do? Tell us what you would do in your boat-based tragedy. <laughs> On Twitter. Mm. Confess your potential war crimes to us. <laughs> So unlike life on the seven seas, some things are nice sometimes. Yes. I've got a nice something. Okay. So I have finished my couch to 5k training and can now run 5k's comfortably. So I'm now going on to 10k training. Oh. I know, I'm going to be so ready for the zombie apocalypse because you know that's August. Yeah. We all know it's August. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a third of, no, a half of my run is up this really, really steep hill that kills me every time. And when I was doing the 5Ks, I'd always run up, but I'd never go over the top. Mm. I'd always have to turn around before the end. So I was very much, I knew the time would come when I'd be able to run further, kind of looking into the distance going, I'll be there someday. <laughs> I can go the distance. I will find my way. Fearless, proud and strong. strong. <laughs> I know every mile, except we use kilometers because we're better. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Oh, God, you're British. All right, fine. I use kilometers because I'm better. I know every kilometer will be worth, <laughs> will be worth my, my barometer. <laughs> and that's when I became a Disney princess. Yay! <laughs> but, but today was the day that I went over the hill. I love that feeling. Gasping, dragging myself forward, sweating buckets, people walking past me casually going, yikes. But on the other side was this beautiful loch and this field of white flowers. And I turned around and there was a view of the ocean. Hmm. And then I was right where I belonged. (laughs) Among Zeus and whatever. That film (laughs) is confusing. I I do love that. Like, getting stronger 
in exercise is exciting. I've been really slacking on my couch to 5k, but when I was cycling, there was a similar kind of thing where like one week I couldn't make it up this hill, the next week I could get further, and then I did manage to like uh, summit the tiny hill <laughs> on my crappy heavy bike. And it's just exciting to like just, your body is just improving around you and and you can do the thing that before seemed impossible to you it's just cool it is and when i'm not listening to hercules i'm listening to milan's i'll make a man out of you and oh, oh my god, god. So is there anything better in the world <laughs> my ultimate speed song is let it go yay <laughs> i'm embarrassed but i don't care Seriously. it's just me listening to disney going let it go <laughs> let it go <laughs> So, yes, that's my some things that I sometimes... It's a very good one. I like it. We have managed to find good things during the end times. I hope that all of our listeners are staying safe, especially you guys in America. Yeah. Yeah, this episode is going out in like a few weeks, I think. So I don't mm. know, maybe, but I hope you have been safe and are continuing to be safe. So stay safe, guys. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. We don't have a funny ending this time. We've just got a kind of sombre one. <laughs> and a voice keeps saying, Bye!